Thank God for the blessing of God. And be blessed. It's a wonderful thing to be here at Camp Meeting 2012 for one more year. And uh, I ask the saints to pray for God's word tonight. I mean that from the bottom of my heart that God would be glorified in everything that happens tonight. Um, I'm going to start reading in the second chapter of the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, starting in the 15th verse. We want to welcome everybody here before I get started. I want to, uh, those that, if, if we've got anybody here for the first time, you are welcome in God's house. We want to welcome our webcast congregation. We don't know who's watching from around the world. And if you're watching in and tuning into the service tonight, we're glad you're watching and pray that God's word will go to you. Start reading from the book of 2 Timothy, the second chapter, starting in the 15th verse says these words, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker or cancer. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. That's Brother, Brother Paul writing to a young minister, Timothy, in the 15th through the 21st verses of the second chapter of 2 Timothy. And I'm, I'm glad that he mentioned that word sanctified in that passage. We know we, we use that word quite often around these parts, and we have for a long time. And I'm glad tonight that I can understand the experience of being sanctified. I don't, I don't think that sometimes people understand how we're saying that. I think there may be sometimes that it comes across as we are superior or that we are elevated or that we are, uh, we, we got something you don't have, nanny nanny boo boo kind of thing. But it's talking about that God has prepared each individual heart for his work. That's what sanctification is all about. That he has prepared us for a holy purpose. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to be sanctified. I, I, um, when we moved to Albany, when the church started almost six years ago now, Brother Bobby Reese told me, this was before he got sanctified, he said, Brother Gary, we're not in the Bible Belt down here in Albany. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And... It really kind of feels that way. And our church name has, to, to some extent, isolated us from 
maybe the very people that we're trying to reach. I think when people see our name, sometimes they make assumptions and they, they think that we do a lot of things that we don't do. And maybe, I don't know what they think, but I, I conjecture that stuff sometimes. But I'll tell you what, it, this is Christ apostrophe S. This is Christ church. And I'm not talking about this organization. I'm talking about the church of God. It is Christ church. It does belong to him. It's not owned. It's not controlled by a group of men or women or uh, any kind of collection or body of people. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid the price for it. He gave his life. He, when he hung on the cross, he bled on all four sides. All the way around he bled for you and I and paid the price for our sanctification. And uh, I'm thankful for that. It, it is a sanctified church. Whatever you want to label the church that you go to, whatever you want to put on your sign, that's okay. I'm not sure that God's restricted to a sign. And the Bible does use the term, and I love this term, the church of the firstborn. Yeah. And the next line says, which are written in heaven. Yeah. That sounds pretty good to me. How about y'all? And that's, it is because he was the firstborn. He was the first fruits of them that slept. He was the first begotten from the dead. He was the first that should rise from the dead. And it is the church of the firstborn because he had the keys of death and hell. And he is the one that opened up heaven for all of us, starting from Cain and Abel and moving forward. But we have, we have a, a, a wonderful treasure in, in the church that we have, and I'm thankful for it. I, I noticed this week, I'm very thankful that um, we've had, for most of our services this week, three of our five deacons, Brother Ben Jernigan, Brother Floyd Hagan, and Brother Leon Stewart. I'm so glad Uncle Leon and Aunt Ruth are back with us this year after having to miss last year. And I thought today, um, during the day today, they, those three men especially were childhood heroes of mine. I cannot say that strongly enough from my heart. I was the little 14, 15 year old geek that messed up feast meetings by putting a big old bulky tape recorder on the pulpit and would flip the tapes in the middle of it. But y'all don't know what those tapes did for me as a teenager. That became my radio station and when I got back home. That's where I learned a lot of the verses that I know today by listening and hitting rewind and play and rewind and play and rewind and play over and over and over again. And I'm thankful I was raised in a home that my parents taught me to not just love our folks, but they taught me to reverence our folks, to look up to our folks. And, and, and you know, when you, when you try to talk about the world's standards versus the standards of God, the world wants us to go after a lot of things with the entertainment figures and the sports heroes. And I hear probably more talk than I wish to heard from our folks about some of these people. We don't need to be emulating those kind of folks and the kind of things we dress and wear and do and treasure and value. That's not who I'm comparing myself against, but we need to be comparing ourselves to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that measure of that fullness is represented through the body of his people, which we call our folks. Somebody say amen. 
Those are still my heroes. And I still reverence our folks for the right reason. Go back to this. Uh, Sister Dora Gray was uh, quite, a, quite an interesting lady. She was well into her 80s when I was a teenager. And uh, she was cool enough that every Sunday morning she came in the young folks class. 80 some years old and she was right there wasn't she Brother Thomas and uh, she was a part of that class and, and everybody from Norfolk in that, in that time frame knows that this 15th verse was Aunt Dora's verse she never testified hardly maybe, maybe never that she didn't quote this verse study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In fact, it became such a catchword for us there in Norfolk that somebody printed it out on a big poster board. And if you remember the old Sewell Point Road Church, as you went down the stairs going back into the Sunday School Room, we put that big poster for a long period of time up over those doors that went out into that Sunday School Room. Study, study. Now, she was talking about, and we often... We often uh, take the context of this verse as studying God's Word, studying the Bible. Study to show yourself approved unto God. And that is a part of showing yourself approved unto God. You can't have an intimate relationship with God without being involved in intimate conversation with God. And that's a two-way street. When I read God's word, God is talking to me. That's right. It's not pointing out, it's pointing at the reader. And when I go to God in prayer, not, not, not these little quickie prayer things that we'd sometimes do, but when I go to God in deep, meaningful, intimate, worshipful prayer, it's God, me telling God about what he already knows about me. <laughs> you know, you've never gone to God in prayer and told God a secret. You never went to God in prayer and told him something about you that he didn't already know about. But that conversation is, is, is vital. But this verse is a little deeper than just studying the Bible. It's studying studying about lifestyle, studying about examples, studying about legacy, studying about measuring up to the fullness of the stature of God, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now he comes down and he says to shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth a cancer. And he names specific examples of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already. And through their inerrant testimony, they overthrew the faith of some. Your testimony has value. It has impact. But the verse I want to talk about tonight is this 19th verse. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Now we're living, this is 2012 and we're living in some tumultuous times, aren't we? Man, our economy's in a shambles. It's, it's the worst perhaps that it's ever been since the Great Depression. No signs of real good recovery on the immediate near horizon. 
and it has reconfigured a lot of our values. Somebody say amen. It, it, it's, it's made us thankful, maybe in a lot of cases, for things that we took for granted for a long, long time. And, 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 and it's, it's unsteady times. Some of us have had to start new careers. I had a man ask me the other day, what made you want to do what I'm doing now? I said, who said I wanted to? It just came out, you know. But, but, but we've had a lot of things that have changed. And, and, and what I want to say is in the middle of this economic collapse, where we don't know what to really stand on, I want to tell you that, that nevertheless, Amen. nevertheless, the, the foundation of God stands sure. It's, it's not going anywhere. There's nothing in earth and in heaven that can undermine it. It was set in place by God the Father that from the beginning, God hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, and it's still there. The foundation's still in place. We, we, we live in a, in, a, in a society that um, is trying to, it, it, liberals among us are trying to destroy foundational principles that our country was founded on, that majority of Christian churches, and I'm not talking doctrinal things here, I'm talking foundational principles that are in God's Word. And our, our world around us is trying to destroy the fabric of the things that we have long valued and held dear to our heart. The, the, the greatest one I see is the, is, the, is, the, is the fight almost against marriage and against the sanctity of marriage. Marriage has become a disposable item like a razor or whatever else that we got so many things of in our home. And I want to tell you that no matter what society says, that they say that marriage, you, you think your mate's not making you happy, go get you another one. You deserve to be happy after all. Because this goes back to what somebody preached about, Brother Ty, the other night. So many people believe the world revolves around them. And they're the center of the universe. And certainly I, who's such an important person and a wonderful person, certainly I deserve to be happy. I got news to tell you. There ain't one person on the face of this earth, husband, wife, father, mother, child, grandchild, there is no person that can make you happy. Happiness only comes from a settled peace inside the heart that came because you yielded yourself and crucified self at an altar of prayer and let God be the center of your life. And I want to say that God is still in favor of marriage. And God defined marriage. Another thing, even our president has joined the ranks and said, well, any union's okay. Any two people can get together, and, he, and even our president, who claims to be a Christian, and I'd say it's highly, highly questionable when the policies he's espousing goes directly contrary to God's word. And somebody, you want to, if you want to have that discussion, brother, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. Because in spite of what our president says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. And the president can't destroy it. He can't move it out of place. 
Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And the building of God, the Bible says, is fitly framed together. There's no cracks. There's no crevices. You ain't got to go around with a caulk gun and fill out the gaps. You ain't got to do that thing we always said on the construction site, you know, can't see it from my house. Oh, you ain't got to do that in God's house. The what God does, he does it forever, and he does it that men should fear before him. And the foundation of God is standing strong. And it has a seal. It's not just that it's standing there, and it's, it, but the rivers of time, as they continue to flow, and, and they, the banks of a river can change. Man, we live on a creek down there in Albany. Brother Tom's a half mile down the house, uh, half, half mile down the street at his house. And we've had some floods in the last couple of years that, uh, man, we was just about paddling to get to our front door. Brother Tom's house was surrounded by water. That, that creek come out of the banks. But I'm going to tell you what, the rivers of time, when they're beaten against the foundation of God, it's right there in the middle of the river, and the rivers of time have to flow around it. It's never going to move. It's not going to move for you. It's not going to move for me. It's not going to move for popular opinion. The foundation stands sure. And it has a seal. The seal isn't set by man. See, things that man says are things that are temporary, things that are temporal, things that change by opinion and by committee and by a lot of other things. But the seal of God is established by the very God that plumbed the depths of the ocean. That was there, he conformed the world before he allowed the springs of water to come forth. And when they come forth, it says in one place, they came forth as out of the womb and he set a boundary on the waters. Only God can do that. That's the God of heaven. And the seal he put on this foundation is, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And he got a second part to it, just as equal to the first. The second is like unto it. <laughs> that, that let them that... Uh, let me read it. <laughs> let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See, the world that our society says, just, just you, can't, you can't do nothing about it. All you can do is try to be an improved version of a sinner. But I'm going to tell you what, God delivers from sin. The foundation that stands, I want to tell you this, the foundation that stands when we start thinking about foundations, we start looking down uh, underneath the ground. We think of foundations, all of us builders and ex-builders. And, oh, we got a lot of ex-builders in here, don't we? Hallelujah. But I used to put some foundations in. We think of things that are under the ground. But the foundation of God in this case is not something that's out of sight. It's not something that's undercover. It's not something that's covered up. And and yes, it is a foundation. It is something you build the rest of the house on. I understand that. But the real foundation of God is the cross. It's the cross that never moves. It's the cross that brought our victory. It's the cross that brought our redemption. It's the cross no matter what the world says. And there's a, the, the Islamic religion is growing so rapidly and they want to disavow. But I'm going to tell you what, nevertheless, the foundation of God, notice what it says, it's standing sure. And that's the cross. It's standing high. 
It's not going to be moved because of anything else. And it is what will save you from sin. Oh, my brother, my sister. Um, I want to read you a few, just a couple of places. Um, and and, and I, want, I want to say this. I want, I want to drop a word to some of y'all that are here tonight. We, we've had uh, this camp meeting. We've had people that have come back to God that have been gone for a long time. Amen. My brother was one of them. And I thank God. It has made my week. Once David went to the altar, I was praying for your, your people too. But man, I, was, I felt like I, my camp meeting was already successful. Because we have those ties with our loved ones, don't we? And we want them all to go. And I'll submit to you, if you don't know God tonight, some of you have used to have a relationship with God. You walked with God. You called God your friend. You testified that you were sanctified. You had a changed life. A changed life can't be faked for very long. If it's not genuine, if it's not from the heart, it's not something you can sustain for very long. Else, else we'd have a completely different world around us, wouldn't we? We'd have a lot of people doing a lot of things different. But, but those of you that got sanctified and really, really met God, and really understood the blessing of the entire sanctification for the first time in your life. I wanna tell you something, if you've left that, if you departed from that, my brother, my sister, you need to come back to God because the rest of your life is a waste without God. That's right. It doesn't matter where you go, you're standing on uncertain ground. You're standing trying to live your life on your own strength, your own willpower, your own intelligence, and there are none of us that are a match for the enemy without God's spirit in our heart. He says in the, and I know many of you thought of this in the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew in the 24th verse, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and there's some in this building tonight you're hearing the sayings of God but you're not going to do them it's a statistical probability there's somebody in here tonight and I want to give you I want to give you prophetic words about your future if you hear these sayings of mine and you don't do them, you will be likened unto a foolish man. You are building your house upon the sand and the rains will descend and the floods are going to come and the wind is going to blow. I'm giving you a prophecy based out of God's word. It's going to happen. Not might, not now look at your weather channel app. It's a 60% chance of rain. I'm talking 100%. Oh, yeah. The storms of life are coming. Amen. And if you don't heed the sayings of God, your house is going to fall. Amen. And great's going to be the fall of it. But David, King David said over here in the 18th chapter of the book of Psalm, and I love this. This is eight things that he gets very personal about his relationship with God and I think that's all right. You know what? It's a good thing to have a personal 
testimony about what God has done for you. You can tell me about answered prayer, and that's a good thing. You can tell me about what some cute little story you read somewhere. That might be all right. You can tell me about a motivational speech you heard. And that might be, but there is nothing that has the conviction of a personal testimony of someone that was lost in sin, someone that didn't have hope, someone that was going in the wrong direction. But God called them. Work number one called them. They came and repented, got forgiven, came back and got filled with God's Spirit. And your testimony is that, work number four, you are growing in grace. There is nothing that can beat a personal testimony. And David said this, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Oh man, I'll tell you what, the world, the, the devil wants to deceive us. So we, especially us guys, we were poisoned with testosterone. We think we're so macho and tough. And we think we're strong. We think we can do this. Let me tell you something. We can't do anything at all unless God gives us strength for it. Second verse, the Lord is my rock. And he is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God. He is my strength in whom I will trust. He is my buckler. He is the horn of my salvation. And I love this one. The Lord is my high tower. Man, we talk about a highway of holiness. But when I get where I ought to be, and it's not there all the time for me, because it's my fault. But when I get where I ought to be, and I get up in that high tower, I'm safe. I'm safe. There's nothing can touch me when I'm up there. And you can have that experience tonight. You can have that experience tonight. I, um, I, I, I heard about a, a story about a man that, um, I'm not going to read that. Heard a story about a man that um, got hired, this is a long time ago, got hired as a woodcutter. And um, he decided he wanted to, he wanted to, uh, Make a good impression, you know. First day on the job, man. You know the old the old adage is uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. He wanted to make a good impression, so man, he got his axe and he was up early at sunrise the next morning. He went out in the trees and and he cut down twenty trees that day. And he come back and told his boss, man, I cut down twenty trees. The guy said, man, we ain't never had a worker like that. That's, that's good stuff. So uh, you know, you just keep up the good work. So the next day, he come along. And uh, got up early in the morning, and he, was, he, he thought he was going to try to outdo what he had done the first day. And he went out, and he cut, and he cut, and he cut. At the end of the day, he had only cut down 15 trees. He lost 25% production. Man, that bothered him. He didn't go to the boss that day. He was kind of ashamed, you know. So uh, he said, well, I'm going to make it up tomorrow, buddy. I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to really cut some trees tomorrow. He got up early the next morning, went out, went out in the forest, and he cut trees all day long, and he only cut down eight trees. Man, this thing's going backwards. This, this wasn't working too good. And he got out the fourth day, and he cut all day long, chopped and chopped and chopped till the point of exhaustion, and he only cut down three trees. This thing's going backwards. So he went to the boss, and he said, boss, I don't know. You might have to let me go. He said, I started off good, but, you know, things are going backwards a little bit. His boss looked at him, he says, well, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. He said, have you sharpened your axe? He said, No. I, I hadn't done that. I've been too busy cutting trees. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. In the work of God, 
You could go out and try to do a lot of mighty things for God. And I, I will testify to you. There's more work to do than any of us have time to do it. If you're sanctified and you're complaining and you don't have nothing to do, you ain't looking around real good. You're not, you're not checking out possibilities very far. There is a world filled with lost and lonely and hurting, hurting people that need somebody to bring a touch of God to them. But if all you do is go out and work and work and you never take time personally to sharpen your ax and to spend that alone time with God in the word and on your knees, you're going to get frustrated with your efforts after a while. The um, God has got, the Bible says that he hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I don't believe that means that God's only give us most of what we need. Some, I was a carpenter for a long time and every now and then, you know, you get on the job, man, I left that tool at home. I meant to bring it this morning, you know, you can't carry everything you need. Brother Tim might know a little bit about that. You might leave something and just, you know, you needed that tool that day. But God has given us, equipped us with everything we need. First of all, he's given us everything we need to live holy ourselves. Because the foundation of God is sealed. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's where it all starts, is with you. And then he's given us everything we need to carry the light of God to other people. And I believe, and I'm going to close with this, I believe that here tonight, and on this webcast, whoever's watching out there, there are people, and maybe right here in our midst, that are sanctified people, that have had an experience with God. And maybe somewhere along the way, you haven't sharpened your axe like you should have. And you're trying to do things on your own strength. But David clearly stated, it's the Lord that's my strength. It's the Lord that's my rock and my salvation and my high tower and all of these things. There's not any of us that are equipped with men's strength that we can go out and do the work of God on our own wisdom and our own strength. We've got to have God pardon the waters before us. Hallelujah. And what I want to tell you is that don't settle, don't get for a struggle. You don't have to struggle in your spiritual daily walk with God. God has victory for you. I, um, I, I want to read you a, a place over here I can find it real quick in the book of Peter that says, um, I, I wanna, I, if you're sanctified tonight, I want to give you a little bit of uh, a, a, little, a little boost here from God's word that'll maybe help you out a little bit with who you are. I think sometimes, and I'm going to say it this way, um, y'all pray for me, I'm not going to let this thing go. I think sometimes we struggle in our trying to find our identity in Christ. I think there are a lot of people that feel like that they don't have, they don't know what their gift or their calling is. I think a lot of people up here and out there, and we sometimes mistakenly compare ourselves to other people that their gifts and their callings and their talents are 
blindingly obvious. You know, we can see it from a long distance and we go, well, I'm not like that person. I can't sing like they sing. I can't talk to people like they talk to people. I can't preach like they, I can't pray like, you know. And, and, and so we, we almost excuse away um, any sense of responsibility of attempting to do something for the kingdom of God. But I want to assure you that every part and parcel of your body God designed it to do something for your good health. And every one of us have a part in the body of Christ. The way God set this thing up, you don't have an excuse to come up before God's throne and say, I just wasn't sure I was good enough and I kind of buried those talents you gave me, Lord. So I want to just give you a word of encouragement in the book of Peter. It says, but you, the sanctified, the called, are a chosen generation. Let that be your identifying mark. You are a royal priesthood. This is getting the priesthood was restricted to a one tribe out of 12 and to just a few of those that were the priest of God. But if you're sanctified tonight, whether you got sanctified this morning or whether you got sanctified 50 years ago, you the Bible says in Revelation 1 and 7, He hath made us to be kings and priests. You are, <coughs> excuse me, but you are a holy nation. Let that be your identifying mark. Let that be stamped on your forehead and your frontlets and all the things it talks about. Let it be on the bells of the horses. Let everybody in your life, don't be ashamed as this uh, was quoted the other night. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let them know you go to a holiness church. We are, are, are we still a holiness church, y'all? I really, let me tell you something. Well, maybe I won't. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people, a people God has set aside for his own. And in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it says that we're not coming to the mount that might be touched. And it describes in detail what the children of Israel saw over in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read this tonight, but I want to tell you that it's easy to identify yourself by things that you see and you touch and you read about and you see on TV and you see on the internet and let worldly values, the value system of the world, put some marks in your life. I'm talking to our folks. It's easy for us to, to aspire to be like these people that will somehow, somehow, the, the way the, the publicists of the world want to put it out is that all these uh, movie stars and singers and sports stars and all this stuff, that somehow they're better than we are, that they're a cut above because they can do this or they can do that. But I want to tell you, nevertheless, I'm going to go back to that, nevertheless, doesn't matter what the world says, doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter how warped your values have gotten, if they have gotten warped, but nevertheless, somehow 
when we get carried away by life, when we get carried away by our own blindness somehow, thank God, if you've ever been sanctified, you've got a stone, you've got a rock that you can come back to. The foundation of God stands sure. The lighthouse still stands. The cross still means what it ever meant. And you, my brother, my sister that's lost tonight, can find your way back to a God that forgives and pardons no matter where you are. But it says this, that we aren't come to all these temporal things, but we are come to Mount Zion. I'm talking to the sanctified tonight. We are come to the city of the living God. We are come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We are come to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. We are come to God, the judge of all. That's the foundation that's never passed away. That's the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. That's God, the judge of all. And we are come to the spirits of just men made perfect. In the last verse, we are come to Jesus. He was the mediator and he is the mediator of the new covenant. And we are come to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I want to tell you folks, there is hope in the cross. There's hope in the foundation. It doesn't matter where you are tonight. You've got a God that wants to take you back. He is married to the backslider. We sometimes mark people and we remember the things they've done. But God has an amazing memory. I don't understand how the God that knows more than any of us, when we come to him, the Bible says he casts our sins behind his back. <laughs> the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. We remember those things. They, they are there with us even years after we've been sanctified. We still remember our offenses to God. But God is saying, I forgive you. I love you. I want you to be my child. I want you to stand on the solid rock, which is Jesus. And tonight we're extending that invitation to you that are lost. To you, the sanctified, that may be discouraged. There are people in this building that have got burdens tonight that they've not told any of us about. These are the unspoken prayer requests we hear in our services. Things that we don't want to talk about. We're kind of ashamed of them. Things going on because of family or money or health or a lot of other things. But I want to tell you, God is a God that cares about all of us. He cares about the secrets of our heart. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And anything you've got tonight that has burned you down on this road to heaven, come as we sing this song. Stand. Let's all stand. Come to this altar of prayer and let God relieve your burden. <laughs>